It's May 7th, 1992, backstage at Tokyo's Club Quattro, and John Frusciante is refusing to go on stage with the rest of the band. He's begun to feel that destiny is leading him away from the band. They're going too high, too far, too soon. Everything seems to be happening at once. At the start of this world tour, he started to hear voices in his head telling him, you won't make it during the tour, you have to go now. He tells his bandmates that he is leaving the band. They persuade him to perform one last time for the Red Hot Chili Peppers, but he leaves for California the next morning. He'd spend the next four years with a crippling drug addiction. An article in the Phoenix New Times in December 1996 described Frusciante as a skeleton covered in thin skin. In February of that year, he had almost died of a blood infection. His arms became fiercely scarred from improperly shooting heroin and cocaine, leaving permanent abscesses that required skin grafts. He had a nearly lethal oral infection and had to have rotten teeth pulled out of his mouth and replaced with dentures. The article ends with Frusciante saying, I don't care whether I live or die. In January 1998, urged by his longtime friend Bob Forrest, Frusciante checked into Las Encinas, a drug rehabilitation clinic in Pasadena. About a month later, Frusciante checked out and re-entered society. By early 1998, the Red Hot Chili Peppers had fired replacement guitarist Dave Navarro and were on the verge of breaking up. Bassist Flea told frontman Anthony Kiedis, The only way I could imagine carrying on with the band is if we got John back. With Frusciante free of his addictions and ailments, Kiedis and Flea thought it was an appropriate time to invite him back. When Flea visited him at his home and asked him to rejoin the band, Frusciante began sobbing and said, Nothing in the world would make me happier. With Frusciante back on guitar, the Chili Peppers began recording their next album, Californication, released June 8th, 1999. Frusciante's return restored a key component of the Chili Peppers' sound, as well as a healthy morale. With him, he brought his deep devotion to music, which affected the band's recording style during the album. Frusciante has frequently stated his work on Californication was his favourite, and more than that, the album is a rebirth for the band, a resurrection that resonated with fans all around the world, going on to sell 16 million copies worldwide and garner critical acclaim. But something more insidious was released into society on June 8th, 1999, more harrowing than any heroin addiction. As it turns out, Smash Mouth also released their second album, Astro Lounge, on exactly the same day. What happened when these two projects dropped at the turn of the millennium? We're going to find out. Welcome to When Albums Collide. The When Albums Collide podcast, Judd Boaz with you, joined as ever with Pedro Duran. Pedro, how's it going? Good, very well. How are, how are you, Judd? I'm good. What did we think of our two albums selected this week? We got the Red Hot Chili Peppers Californication, we got Smash Mouth's Astro Lounge. Yeah, I mean, I've heard both of these groups, you know, very casually through a bunch of stuff. Well, it's ironic how, how when, during the research, I realized how much Smash Mouth I actually heard through, I guess, osmosis is the best way to say it. But, I mean, obviously, their biggest, biggest hit all-star was played all that year in 1999 maybe most famously in that uh first shrek movie i don't know i kind of really never heard anything from them after that that's just me and then red hot chili peppers they they, red hot chili peppers seems like they've always been in my life because i've just always heard their music on the radio 
whether it be like give it away, give it away, give it away now. Um, you know, like an album like Californication. My first introduction into Red Hot Chili Peppers was never music, though. It was it was always in it was in movies. I don't know if you know, but Flea was featured in one of my favorite movie trilogies, Back to the Future. Really, I didn't know that. Yeah, he plays. A I know char- he's in like he's in like Baby Driver, I think, but uh, I didn't know he was in Back to the Future. Yeah. Future. Yeah, yeah, he's Back to the Future 2 and Back to the Future 3. He plays a character named Needles, who's kind of, uh, he peer pressures Marty McFly into doing bad things. So, for instance, in Back to the Future 2, he peer peer pressures him to embezzle. And then in Back to the Future 3, at the end, he uh, tries to peer pressure Marty into drag racing. And, yeah, and into a drag race that would eventually ruin his future. At that point in the movie, Marty learns his lesson and, as he says, yeah, you think I'm stupid enough to race that asshole? So I, I always saw Flea and I was like, who is that guy? Because sometimes in films you'll see, like, you know it's a cameo, but you won't know who that person is, especially when I was a little kid. Yeah, yeah. So then I'll do yeah. my research and then um, I was like, oh, he's his name is Flea and he's in a band called Red Hot Chili Peppers and stuff. So, yeah, Flea's in a bunch of movies. He was actually in Point Break 2. Um, has a small cameo in Point Break as a surf uh, hoodlum where he beats up Keanu Reeves and later gets shot in the foot when they're doing a house raid. So he has an extensive uh, film career. You know what well, I know so. Flea from? Not What's obviously that? the Red Hot Chili Peppers um, and born in Melbourne, Australia, funnily enough. Mm. But I know him because he voiced Donnie Thornbury in the Wild Thornberries. You know, the, like, little, right, wild, yeah. the little wild man kid. And yeah, like, yeah I remember that too. It's, yeah. it's Flea, yeah. Donnie is a wild little animal-like five-year-old boy. Kind of found him. Yes. <laughs> For me, Red Hot Chili Peppers, I had Californication on CD, a.k.a. Josh, my brother, had Californication on CD, (laughs) and I listened to it on our Sony Walkman, Discman, I think. Um, So I've probably listened to Californication a hundred times in my life, the album. It's always a red flag. If I liked something at age 10, I'm very scared because I probably was really lame. Case in point, I liked Smash Mouth when I was 10. So Red Hot Chili Peppers, for me, have a bit of an uncool factor, the way that you two... Or the Foo Fighters, Mm. you know, in the 80s and 2000s, respectively. They're a really safe, kind of boring, alternative rock band with really big hits. They play stadiums. Mm -hmm. There's nothing really groundbreaking about them anymore. So Mm -hmm. if someone tells me their favorite band is the Red Hot Chili Peppers, I'm like, oh, okay, you just don't listen to a lot of music, Mm -hmm. which is... That's going to make me sound like a snob, but it's true. Whereas, you know, if someone tells me Smash Mouth is their favorite band, I'm calling the authorities and having them taken to a mental asylum. Yeah. And I, and I listened to Californication first, and I don't know whether it was the volume or the distortion, which we're going to get into. I have a lecture series coming up. Stay tuned for that, folks. <laughs> but by the time it was time yeah. for me to listen to Astro Lounge Smash Mouth... I was a little bit sick to my stomach. I had a headache and I was nauseous and I'm fairly certain the actual reason was because I was looking at this Smash Mouth track listing and I felt sick to my stomach. 50 minutes of Smash Mouth, like 15 tracks. I couldn't believe it. I was dreading it the whole time. Yeah, I've noticed that. I've seen Smash Mouth live, by the way, which I'd completely forgotten that I had done so. Just buried into your psychosis. There's this rugby tournament in Hong Kong, which is very, very popular called the Hong Kong Rugby Sevens. And it's just an excuse for everyone to get dressed up in costumes. Like, people go as cheerleaders and, you know, wrestlers and sailors and stuff. And they just right. get destroyed. They turn up at 6 a.m. 
in the stadium and just start drinking all day and get destroyed and have sex in the stands and vomit and everything. It's great. So Smash Mouth played the halftime show at this thing and usually it's great. Like they get really like kitschy bands like the Proclaimers or something to play Mm -hmm. and it's usually quite good. I'll read an excerpt from the South China Morning Post review of the gig. It said, here we go. We got Smash Mouth. They're still a thing? Question mark. A band for whom the term one-hit wonder would be generous. Their set was uninspiring, and the party actually livened up when they finished, and the DJ started playing the Sevens classics like Bon Jovi and Neil Diamond. Hopefully it was just a blip, and next year the music and entertainment is back to its best. Oh, man. I remember this so clearly, because the DJ that saved it is my colleague, DJ Simon Wilson, and he's like, oh, I realised they'd fucked up really badly and killed the crowd, so I was like... Shit, put Sweet Caroline on. Get the crowd back. Put Living on a Prayer back on. We need yeah. to get this crowd back because they had killed the crowd by being so underwhelming. And for it, like, all they have to do is play All-Star, you would think. And it was just yeah. so flat. I remember it. Shall we dive into the albums? Yeah, let's do it. First one on Californication, Around the World. And you couldn't get much more 1999-2000 because it's very rap rock, Limp Bizkit style. Yeah. Take it to the Dave Matthews Bridge. I I like it a lot. I like the song a lot, but it is very characteristic. And the Red Hot Chili Peppers were doing this for a long time, since the 80s. They were just mm-hmm. jamming on stage, and then Anthony Kiedis would rap rock, funk rap, and it would sort of be their songs. So this is something they're well known for, and it's a very funky song. They have a funk element to a lot of their music. Mm-hmm. What did you think of Around the World? Yeah, I thought it was good. I mean, uh, it is typical Red Hot Chili Peppers, um, and you're right, it's super funky, and Kiedis is doing his rap thing, which, you know, I don't I'm not going to I don't hate at all. It was it was a great introduction to the album. Nothing um, revolutionary. I think some of them as we get into the albums, there's uh, into this album, particularly, there's going to be a lot better songs, especially uh, they deal into the issues that they're that they're all going through with their drug addiction and relationship with their fathers and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I thought it was uh, uh, satisfactory. <laughs> Uh, it was a satisfactory introduction. Maybe, you know, if you're, as you said, they've done this before. So if you're coming back as a Red Hot, I'm just going to say Peppers because it's too long to say that. But as a Peppers fan, this is a great hors d'oeuvre to have before you start uh, the main dish of the album. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this uh, with Back in Black, where it's like, you know, this album sold 16 million copies. Like, mm-hmm. is it really, you know, like everyone listening to Californication, is it kind of going to be kind of like cringe and lame? I was pleasantly surprised all the way through. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is like, if you think of rap rock, like maybe you have on one end of the spectrum, you have like Rage Against the Machine and like mm-hmm. Limp Biscuit and stuff. And then you have like Kid Rock, which is more rap than rock. This is way more funky than all of those. It's like way more melodic. The music is way better. It's a benefit for them because sometimes the rock aspect of those other bands um, is so overwhelming, takes away from... Um, the listening, whereas this is kind of a little more mellow, and and you can enjoy that that rapping uh, delivery there too. What did you think of Kiedis's, um scatting parts? The ding dong, ding 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 dong, ding dong, ding yeah. dong. What did it's you think? It's all right. I mean, he's just. I guess he's he's doing his thing. I found a lot of this album too. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they just a lot of it was jam sessions and then they kind of bumped them up into like okay let's kind of work it out and make it to a song you know what i mean because there's another there's a couple other songs on here i was just like this definitely came just out of them jamming and then they were just like okay let's record it uh, and kind of polish it up and and release it as a song but so i think yes and no 
mm-hmm. their past albums, like Freaky Styly, I believe. They went to Detroit to record with uh, George Clinton, who's very famous from Parliament Funkadelic. Mm-hmm. And, well, they recorded with, it was the Chili Peppers, George Clinton, and about 10 pounds of cocaine. And mm. a lot of that album is just jam sessions, to the point where I'm pretty sure George Clinton, the story goes, um, from Anthony Kiedis's autobiography, Scar Tissue, which is a recommended read for any teenage boy out there. George Clinton's drug dealer, because they're doing so much cocaine, wanted to be paid, and they literally couldn't pay him, so they put him on the album instead. And you can hear George Clinton talking, his drug dealer talking on the album. That's how much drugs they were doing. Anthony Kiedis was going through severe heroin withdrawal, so he'd do cocaine to make up for it, but then he had to stop doing cocaine because he realized, I have to sing and actually record, and I can't do that while doing cocaine. It's crazy. So this is them a little bit more mature, and I think they're doing slightly less drugs at this point. Mm -hmm. It's still a jam session, but less frenetic. The story goes that apparently when the band first wrote this song, they had the melody ready, but they didn't have the lyrics for the song. So instead of singing, they just used the ding-dong-ding-dong noises until they had something else. Mm. They finally had something else, and they recorded the song, and then Flea's daughter heard the new version, and disappointed, she told her dad she missed the ding-dongs, and the band decided to bring them back in. All right, well, there you go. So very Mm. nice. That's Flea's daughter's uh, impact on it. So, yeah, I think this was a really funky opener. Really like this song. And then, I mean, do you want to start with the first track on Astro Lounge? Yeah. What do you think about that? It's called Who's There? Yeah. And initially it comes in with these 1950s sci-fi noises. And I will say this. The whole vibe of Smash Mouth is very like a throwback. Even though it's 1999, there's like 50s elements and the 60s. I mean, they cover a Four Seasons song, for Christ's sakes. Yeah. It's very throwback. And it's a song about aliens and, like, little green men and stuff. So it's yeah. very, like, 1950s sci-fi. Yeah. Um, the song sucked, if that helps. <laughs> I, I don't know what you thought. I, I was like, I knew I was in for a slog because I had a headache at this point. And I, this is the first song, and I was already in comparison where the first song of Californication kicks off. And I'm on board, man. I'm so there. And then this kicks off, and I think, oh, God. Like, oh, I need I need to listen to something else. Yeah, um, I will say that with Astro Lounge, it was it was a bit difficult for me to get through it all the way. I mean, one thing these two, both of these albums are are kind of long. I mean, they're bordering over fifty minutes compared to some of the albums that we've been reviewing uh, lately. Super short, but it was interesting to me. I was like, man, this Smash Mouth album is almost an hour long. Like, what what do, what what do they have to say? And it turns out not really much because um, <laughs> they have to say that hey now you're an all star. Well, yeah, and then but it's it's funny because all star is kind of well, it's super different from everything else on the album. Um, whereas all the majority of the tracks on Astro Lounge are they have a theme, and you're right, it's this retro theme, mm. surf lounge. 1950s sci-fi aesthetic. retro futuristic it's yeah, yeah I don't know. I, and it's very interesting that a band like this who has that kind of aesthetic and we're writing this motif was massive in 1999 you know you i would expect a band with this type of music to be kind of just playing lounge lounges you know in southern california or something like that but they were on a major record label and they were all over the place and it's it's rare we actually get 
on the day. These came out on the exact same day, but obviously mm. Californication has aged much better, I think, than Smash Mouth. Yeah. Because it's not going for this weird retro-futuristic, it's just of its time. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, one thing I'll give them uh, with Smash, uh, Smash Mouth is that they consistent with their theme, because th- all throughout this album... I mean, yeah, d- diarrhea is consistent. <laughs> yes, that's explosive too, but Smash Mouth doesn't get too explosive or anything. But no, they were... They they were uh, consistent with this like space fantasy thing you know the thing is their, their lyrics are super vague throughout the album as well you know they like you said they were talking about little green men and here and there throughout the album they'll say like you're out of my orbit or they'll use like a song called satellite even their biggest hit all star still contains lyrics about galaxies and stars and planetary bullshit uh, you know so I, i'll give it to them that they're they were uh, consistent with um this this theme that they got going on yeah it's it's definitely apparent that they're going for this uh retro space uh tiki lounge lounge lizard kind of thing that's exactly yeah that's tiki lounge is a good way to put it yeah all right, so the next song, this is going to be the second entry, I think, on in the Judd Boaz When Albums Collided lecture series, mm-hmm. Pedro. So I hope you're strapped in for yes. me to talk for 20 minutes. All right. Parallel Universe. And this is the first track I really realized. I don't know how you listen to the album, mm-hmm. but I'm guessing you didn't listen on, via CD. No, I listened to it on Spotify just now, yeah. Yeah. Right, but you listen through your headphones, right? That's correct, yeah. Did you notice anything about the sound quality of the album? I don't know. I, I wrote down in my notes that this with Parallel Universe, the microphone was muffled and it was a bit of a like a psychedelic sound with the guitar and the feedback at the end of the song. But what are you referring to? The production on this track, but on the entire album in general, mm-hmm. is fucking putrid. Mm. It is horrible. And this was a trend that was happening in the late 90s called The Loudness War, mm-hmm. which we will go into right now. Uh, And it's a shame, because I think the track is fucking great, by the way. I'm Mm. just going to get that out of the way. Rick Rubin, who produced Californication, also famously produced, you know, LL Cool J albums and Raising Hell, Run DMC, all these things. Yeah, Beastie Boys. He was a huge proponent of making things really loud, which is why Californication is really, really loud. That album is so loud. If you have it on CD... It is so loud. And what do, I, what do I mean by this? Does that mean that Flea and John Frusciante were playing their instruments especially hard? No. Does that mean my volume knob is turned all the way up? No. I mean the album itself is mixed to be as loud as possible. Californication came out at this real crest of what they call the loudness war, where every record was trying to be as loud as humanly possible. And this was a relatively new thing because of the advent of CDs. CDs allowed a lot more range in your volume, because if you go too quiet on a vinyl record, you'll mm-hmm. get like a hiss if anyone's played vinyl. Mm-hmm. CDs, you could get really quiet and it'd still be crystal clear. And you could also get really, really loud. It allowed for digital compression. So without getting too audiophilic, because it's going to be boring for everyone, just explaining what digital compression is. If you think of a um, Windows Media Player or iTunes, you get the visualizer and you see the audio wave. And it goes up and down. When you're loud, the, the wave is bigger. And when you're quiet, the wave is smaller. It's a visual thing. If you imagine you're just going through and taking all the quiet parts and making it really loud. Mm-hmm. You're taking every single quiet part of your song and making it really loud. 
and then you take the loud parts of your song and make it really loud, you end up with this giant fat blob of just even sound all the way across that is really, really loud. Mm. I do it with this podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Because we have some parts where you and I are quiet and some parts where we're really loud. Because loud, 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 loud. I want to even it out and make it a nice listening experience. But I do it sparingly because conversation, much like music, is supposed to be dynamic. There's supposed to be ups and downs, quiet bits, loud bits, ebbs and flows. That is not the case with Californication. It is incredibly loud all the way through. So, for perspective, Nirvana's Nevermind, or Smashing Pumpkin's Siamese Dream, which came out in 1993, they were considered very loud albums in 1993. Mm. Californication is about seven or eight decibels higher, which is almost twice as loud. Mm. So if you were listening in a row to Smells Like Teen Spirit, and then Californication comes on, you'd blow your speakers out. because, right. And you haven't even touched your volume. It's just that the, the actual CD is louder. And why is it so loud? A lot of people have pointed towards Oasis, their album What's the Story Morning Glory, which was, my God, a fucking loud album. Mm-hmm. I remember getting the CD rip off like LimeWire or WinMX or something, and it would just blow my eardrums out every time it would come on because it was so much louder than the other MP3s that I had. Even though they'd been the exact same volume, I haven't touched it, they're just so much louder. Which is exactly what they wanted, by the way. Mm. They wanted their CD to be louder than any other bands on the same volume. That's what they wanted. Mm. And the album was super successful, so people wanted to emulate what they call the brick wall mastering of just making a big, fat blob of sound that's super loud all the way through, no quiet parts. Because it's really good for a crowded pub, or a bar, or if you're on public transport with your, with your Walkman, or you're in the car and you've got the engine running, so you want it to be loud. And I'm sure, you know, some corporate person said, you know, loud is good. Mm-hmm. People like loud things. Let's make it loud as possible. So what's the problem here? The first issue comes with it being fucking draining to listen to and awful for your ear health. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you, were, if you got fatigued, but halfway through the Red Hot Chili Peppers album, my ears were so tired because it'd just been loud, loud, loud the whole time yeah. listening on headphones. The often used analogy is like if you're trying to read a text message in all caps or, you know, in movies they have that orange-blue filter. Mm. Like everything is orange and blue because it's supposed to be pleasing to the human eye. Mm -hmm. And so every movie is just orange and blue filtered, like Transformers or the cover of Californication, for instance. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. um, And just squashing out all these subtle colors. The loudness isn't just in rock records, by the way. It's in Katy Perry's Teenage Dream and Adele's albums are like brick wall to fucking back. They're super, super loud. There's even songs, though. Californication is so bad, they made it so loud that regular people, not even just audio engineers, could, could hear it. And there's songs with distortion and clipping where the sound gets all muddy and you can't understand it because it's so loud. They've made it too loud to listen to. second issue is it's a hundred percent loud as fuck all the time you can't pick up any ebbs and flows or nuances or rhythms or ups and downs in the songs and it affects the album a lot so because we're on parallel universe it's a perfect song to point out where too much compression and too much loudness affects a song Mm -hmm. negatively and detracts from the song i don't know how well this is going to work if you're listening on apple podcasts or Spotify, how the compression works for them. But I would suggest get a good pair of headphones or AirPods or something where you can hear it because you might not hear the difference on your laptop speakers. 
but parallel universe, you have Anthony Kiedis singing the verse softly. Or at least it's supposed to be softly. But I put that in quotation marks because it's still very loud. Rick Rubin has jammed the volume to the max just for the verse because he wants it to be really loud. Mm-hmm. So when the chorus comes in and you're expecting, oh yeah, instruments are going to kick in, the big chorus, like in most choruses, you expect the volume to go up, the intensity to go up, but they're already at max. You can't go any higher than max. So it's just the same volume and it loses all the intensity. It's just one same speed. And it's almost Mm -hmm. like the vocals aren't as strong because they have to fight against these instruments at max volume. Take a listen, see if you can see it. And comparing it to a song that has a lot of dynamic range that isn't slathered in loudness, a song like Uptown Funk. And this is just the opening bars, but you can hear each individual element. It's not just a blanket blob of sound. You can hear the do do doots do do doots. You can hear guitar and bass come in at a different volume. You can hear all these different elements, and it sounds nice. It's not just one blob, and it's not tiring to listen to. There are unmastered bootleg versions that you can find on the internet that sound much better, and it doesn't have this weird staticky buzz. Like, even if you look at the music videos for Scar Tissue or Californication on headphones, you'll hear a buzz during the silent parts because it's really? been made too loud. Mm. This is no longer an issue at the moment because 90% of the way people get their music is streaming platforms. So whether it's Spotify or YouTube or SoundCloud or Apple Music, whatever you use to stream it, those companies have a blanket noise normalizing where they make all the songs sound the same volume. Mm. Which is why when you've got a playlist on shuffle, you're not constantly adjusting the volume of your player, right? It's always the same volume. So you can just have a nice playlist, smooth playlist. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's them telling the music industry, it doesn't matter how loud you mix it, it's all going to sound the same. Mm. So most musicians don't bother now. And then the loudness war has sort of died off. I don't know if you noticed, Pedro, but once I knew about it and I'd read about it, I couldn't unhear it. Yeah. I could hear the static and the distortion all the time. If you're blasting it on a car stereo, you're not going to hear it because the stereo isn't, isn't good enough. Which is, as I said, a shame because Parallel Universe is a great fucking song. I really like the song too, but it just, I couldn't unhear some of the some of the mixing yeah so as you're listening to the album is um what do you think that took away from your listening experience this time around uh knowing yeah, so, that and info? this is so it's not just me like this is a well documented it's one of the worst uh this along with some metallica albums one of the worst offenders of this loudness war it's so loud it's overly loud and it did take away my enjoyment as well because i could realize these songs are really good these are amazingly crafted songs but they've been ruined by the mixing by rick rubin mm. So would you say? I mean, what do you think of Parallel Universe? I mean, I thought it was a a, a great song. Um, like I said, I, I like the psychedelicness of it, the sound of it, um, and particularly the there's they play around with um, the feedback at the end of the song, <clears throat> which which I thought was dope. Um, but I, I super enjoyed it, and um, with the whole album in general, I I, I really. I preferred it over Astro Lounge, and we'll get into it more, but because not just of the sound, 
but also because I felt that um, the subject subject matter and the lyrics were a lot more profound than what's going on with uh with Smash Mouth. So um oh hundred percent yeah, and then taking into consideration um you know the Chili Peppers story with um you know their uh, drug addiction and their guitars coming back and stuff like that. Taking all that into into account, I, I thought it was I thought it was great. And also another thing because I was always watching music videos for both bands. I remember watching these videos growing up and I was like, man, these are some classic videos, especially for uh, Californication with the video game uh, oh, Amazing video. Yeah. Amazing video. So, um, yeah. So I, I really enjoyed Parallel Universe. I thought it was a great addition to the album. I mean, yeah, looking at these Smash Mouth songs, like, yeah, Dig In Your Scene, which is more pop punk Scar. Yeah. And Scar is really, like, their first album, that was really what they did. They did Scar, punk rock, and this is them trying to be a little bit more pop, which doesn't, I don't think they really nail it. Um, it has some nice drum elements. I think it samples a David Bowie song called Join the Gang, which is a horrible song. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the drums are good. It was the next song on, on Astro Lounge, I Just Want to See, where I hit the wall. Yeah. Three songs in, I hit the wall. <laughs> yeah. I liked the first eight songs of Californication or something, the first nine songs. And it was three songs in, I couldn't do it anymore for Smash Mouth. I Just Want to See. It has this slow, laid back, almost ukulele sounding strumming. That makes me want to go and do literally anything else with my time. Mm. Try, I'm just trying to book in a root canal because this was <laughs> rough. Yeah, um, and then there's had this like horrible wannabe white album era Beatles brass part at the end. The lyrics were fucking rubbish. Yeah, the bug, the bugs in the grass and the birds all swimming. Mister Moon checking on how you're living, like yeah. a nursery rhyme type thing. I think it was maybe, the, and that's also very psychedelic era Beatles, but I hate it. I just want to see, man. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this continues this nonsensical lyrics that they are expounding on this album. So, for instance, sleeping on the ceiling, the flies don't fall. Dust bunnies found their way to a wall. I don't even want to understand it all. I just want to see. I was like, what is, I, I just don't understand what is, what is going on. I don't understand why, what, what the hell all this means. And like I said, compared to lyrics of Californication, where they're a lot more profound and deeper and things with the song, like the music is, I guess, pleasant to listen to if you're not really paying attention. And it, it, it continues that smash mouth, you know, Gilligan's Island, Tiki surf lounge thing that they got going on. A couple more references to space and, and the Jetsons or whatever they're they're trying to reach for, but um, this is definitely um, uh, I guess a filler song. And if anyone's listening to the album, I would recommend just skipping skipping it because, um, ironically, as the next song on the album, it's a waste. <laughs> it's a waste. Oh well, the next song is called Waste. Yeah, and I was looking up like reviews of this, and apparently this was very well reviewed. Mm-hmm. This song Waste, but for me. What do I hate? What does Judd hate? He hates ballads. Mm. He he hates, you know, racial injustice. Um, no, but he, he, what he really hates is <laughs> Which one do you fucking... hate more, Judd? <laughs> Where do I hate more yeah. out of acoustic guitar strumming and racial injustice? Yes. I hate acoustic guitar more oh, okay. is what I hate more. Right. <laughs> I fucking hate this uh, songs like this. The guitar work on Californication is so much more interesting. It's not just background noise, okay? So this is the fourth track. Mm-hmm. If you compare it to the fourth track of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Other Side, and you play those two riffs side by side. I'm looking at my watch At all the time that's been stolen 
It's not a comparison. It blows it away. Mm-hmm. I just hate these like mindless acoustic songs. They uh, they shit me up the wall. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's pretty. It's pretty terrible. I mean, it it tries to go for I guess a psychedelic pop style, but it's 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 pretty it's pretty forgettable. And to compare to like other side where like I was saying before, it's them talking about you know their heroin addiction and the composition is great just there's just so much about it that i really prefer than waste and even the video like i was mentioning before the video is an homage to this 1920s german film that came out i'm a big movie guy so i appreciated that it just it's 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 just a standout track for sure i want to cover the song three and four on californication Mm mm-hmm together because they're both wildly successful scar tissue in particular in particular Mm -hmm. scar tissue won the grammy for best rock song it is a fantastic song even though i've heard it 500 times it's still a fantastic fantastic song about drug addiction and drug abuse and you know that these guys were doing all the drugs they're singing about i particularly like the line when he sings blood loss in a bathroom stall Mm -hmm. and it just like that that imagery of like blood stains all over like a a cubicle in a public bathroom is so powerful i i really love it and i was looking up annotations for it and stuff john frusciante anthony kiedis flee all using and abusing heroin in the early 90s uh, around blood sugar sex magic time johnny depp actually made a short film i don't know if you've seen it called stuff no. in 1993 okay so he goes to john frusciante who's the uh guitarist for red hot chili peppers he goes to his house in like the hollywood hills or something and i say house lightly because it's just a trashed heroin den yeah and there's just graffiti all over the walls and there's just shit everywhere and like empty bottles and stuff and when they filmed the bathroom, there's actually blood in the bathroom, which may be because John had been shooting up and injecting, or he got high and he fell down or something. Yeah. It's the actual blood loss in the bathroom stall. It could also be referring to a time that Anthony broke a needle in his arm mm. when he was trying to shoot heroin in a public bathroom. Jeez. So you got Johnny Depp, you got you know John Frusciante, you got Flea, you got River Phoenix. Um, mm. They're all part of this really young... LA community with crippling drug addictions. Right. Bob Forrest, who was a friend of theirs, who's a musician and is now a drug counselor, funnily enough, he said that River Phoenix was staying with John Frusciante, the guitarist of the Peppers, and the two would do large amount of drugs together, embarking on huge binges and barely, if ever, slept. He said that drug routine was consistent for all of them, and he says this because he was doing drugs with them as well. He said first they would smoke crack or inject cocaine and then inject heroin. Jeez. That is quite the cocktail. Yeah. I think they call it a speedball. Yeah. Halloween 1993, uh, River Phoenix plays a gig at the Viper Room, which is a big thing. His mm-hmm. little brother, Joaquin Phoenix, is there, who's not of age yet. And he overdoses and dies on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. Frusciante freaks out afterwards because he'd been supplying drugs and thought he was going to be arrested. He went and went into like hiding from the cops and stuff because he felt responsible for his death. And they're both like 23 at this point, which is so young. So it clearly affected him. And as I said at the top of the show, he had his own struggles with addiction and it obviously affected him mentally. So his use of heroin was to medicate his depression, which was a clear decision. He said, I was very sad and I was always happy when I was on drugs. Therefore, He thought, I should be on drugs all the time. Mm -hmm. He was never guilty. He was always really proud to be an addict. And that's his words. Um, There's a wild interview he did with an Italian magazine where he says, when I left the band 
and I decided to become a drug addict, I believe I made the right choice. Like, what a crazy wow. thing to say. I decided to become a drug yeah, addict, and, and it made was the, the right, right choice. choice. Wow, that's crazy. Don't do drugs, kids, by the way. Do not. No. On the, so Scar Tissue is about that, which is a phenomenal song. Love that song. And then Other Side is another sort of song about it. They think it might be a tribute to the for- their former guitarist, Hillel Slovak, mm-hmm. who died of an overdose. So they've had deaths all circulating around this band with drug use. Uh, another fantastic song I've heard so many times. The guitar work is otherworldly, other side, amazing. But I'm thinking LA in the 90s, huge heroin culture mm-hmm. in the art scene. Pedro, I know you just from personally that you don't fuck with drugs or anything, but you lived in LA and you've lived in, yeah. in America maybe where it's more prevalent. I mean, were drugs a big thing in some of these places you, where you were living? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I've lived in Los Angeles for uh, three years and I had bunch of roommates you know in and out and stuff like that and there was always one or two roommates always offering me cocaine and stuff constantly and i would just have to be like i'm not in i'm not into that at all and i remember i think this was the first week or had maybe even the first day i was in los angeles and i went to like a fast food place or whatever and hopped out of the car and I looked at the car park and there was syringes all on the floor you know so definitely it's definitely uh uh, drug culture is a massive thing there. Why? I don't know. Maybe it's a money thing. Maybe it's a culture thing because Los Angeles, it's a beautiful town in the sense that the weather is awesome. That is the that's one thing I always credit Los Angeles and even Southern California for is the weather is awesome. So you're just constantly in a good mood and you're always in a position to to chill and just hang out. You know, maybe you, that that feeds into it. Like, Whereas a city like New York or even Melbourne too, where it's a little more hustle and bustle and, the, and, and particularly Melbourne, the weather changes all the time that, you know, if you're not already deep, deep into heroin and it's freezing temperatures outside, you're not going to be like, oh, let me just stand out here and uh, just shoot up real quick. I feel like it's easier to uh, shoot up on the beach in Santa Monica. But yeah, drugs are big. Given our line of work, it's like we both have interactions with heroin addicts and stuff, and we know what they look like and how they act. And it's not, it doesn't look very pleasant. Like, I don't think these songs are romanticizing the drug addiction mm-hmm. at all, but they're written so beautifully and the riffs are so amazing that you you would have housewives humming along to a song about heroin addiction, right. which is a very which is crazy, you know, like they, even if they sort of know what the song's about, but the, it's so catchy, they can't help but hum along to yeah, it. Yeah, and I think that's super important to to recognize. I mean, this Scar Tissue won a Grammy for Best Rock Song. Visit Revisiting the album, I was listening and I was like, oh man, I do remember this song being a massive, massive hit on the, on the radio. You know, I, I bet there's tons of people that don't really decipher the lyrics and they're just like, They'll just like, hmm, 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 and just hum along or whatever it is, but don't realize this is a massive song about heroin addiction. How many other pop songs out there are talking about the dangers about um, being a drug addict? So yeah, it's super interesting. They they really composed the song really well to uh, to the point that they um, were able to supersede the tragedy of it. The next song on Astro Lounge, I mean, we have to get to it. Oh, it's yeah. It's a song called All Star. Have you heard this song, Pedro? No, I have I think, I don't know. I've, I don't think I've ever heard it before in my life. <laughs> I I have a memory of myself because I watched I'd Shrek on VHS, and that was obviously a big deal. 
um, the opening song, All Star, Shrek comes out of the toilet and just lives his life, mm-hmm. and it's to the tune of All Star. This song is burned into my brain, yeah. as it would be burned into a lot of people's yeah. brains. That was sarcasm for anyone that hadn't picked that up <laughs> when I said I haven't heard this song. <laughs> to the point where I remember riding my bike in my street in Alice Springs, which I won't say on the internet, I won't say the actual address, but I was riding my bike in a circle just singing all-star to myself nope like i didn't have any friends around yeah i was just during school holidays i would just sing it to myself the lyrics over and over while i was riding my bike which is i mean if my parents had been watching they'd be like mm, should we take him to a therapist yeah. or, nah, he'll be he'll be he'll be, he'll be fine <laughs> to quote the great dave Chappelle, what can be said about this song that hasn't already been said about afghanistan it is bombed out and depleted yeah this song has been beat to an inch of its life because of memes it's crazy how how overplayed this song is did you hear? Did you do? Uh, did you hear that uh, somewhere in the research that they're considering doing a, a play, like a Broadway musical of this no. song? No, yeah. no, no. I saw no. that. Surely not. And, but here's the catch: like it's called All Star, and it's about a girl who wants to go to Hollywood and be a star and stuff like that. But every song in the musical is All Star. They just do different renditions of the same song over and over again. Oh my! God. I was like, how crazy is that? Like, I just don't. I, I, I mean, come on, like, that is bananas to, to think about. And, like, who's actually going to – I don't know. I, I thought that was absurd. Like, who would go to that and be like, all right, this is this sounds like a great idea? I was going to say, this, this is, for me, the perfect dichotomy of, like, the 90s because there was the part of the 90s that was really cringeworthy and there's the part of mm-hmm. the 90s that is still kind of cool. And I think Californication, like – a song songs like that like scar tissue overplayed has probably been played on the radio as many times as all star but i don't hate listening to it because mm-hmm. it's a beautiful song all star is 90s in a bad way it is something that is very of its time and that has been done to death and is a joke at this point mm-hmm. so they're like the two different and i think it's all to do with the musicianship and like the level of the music anthony Kiedis's lyrics are silly as well some of them don't make any sense at all and they're kind of weird off the wall things much like smash mouth but the music is so much better yeah, definitely i think another aspect well, let me ask you why do you think this song was so massive compared to other songs on the album like it is catchy. I'm not gonna like everyone. Everyone likes catchy songs, right? And I, I maybe maybe it was the marketing a little bit mm. because you put a, a sort of there are lots of catchy songs, but how many of them were attached to a mu- movie that was wildly successful like Shrek? Yeah, you know, and and not just Shrek. And I think I mentioned it to you earlier in the week during the research. I was looking at is and I think Shrek is the biggest um, where people most likely will remember this this song from. But I was going through it and. This album has been licensed to music to movies so many times. It's so crazy. So even if you never listened to Astro Lounge, the album, you have definitely listened to Astro Lounge because you just heard it through different uh, mediums. So for instance, like this song All Star was featured in Mystery Men, that Ben Stiller movie in 1999, and in the music. I mean, they made a music video around uh, around it in the movie Digimon, the movie 2000. Um, Inspector Gadget in 1999 was a documentary called Go Tigers uh, that featured uh, All Star. And other songs from this album were featured on a Nissan commercial. We're going to talk about it later, but Can't Get Enough of You, Baby, with uh, Can't Hardly Wait, the Jennifer Love Hewitt movie. It's like a teen comedy, whatever. TNT, which is a TV network, use a bunch of songs off Astro Lounge for like promotional videos. 
uh, you know, they'll be like this week we're showing this movie or whatever, whatever. And then they'll play Smash Mouth songs. Digging Your Scene was featured heavily on a show called Alias. It's just it's so, so crazy. Come On, Come On was featured in a Gap commercial in movies. Big Fat Liar, Dude, Where's My Car, Snow Day, Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo. It was even on an episode of Kim Possible back in 1999 so and then i went even further and there is this is incredible there's a movie out there in 2006 called zoom starring tim allen i think it's like some disney channel kind of bullshit they have six smash mouth songs in that one movie holy shit that is crazy i was just like whoa like they are really milking milking this so yeah if even if you've never heard this album you have heard this album because it was just being played everywhere and i was watching a a, a interview with them and basically they produced the album and they turned in the album to interscope and the record company was just like no we need a hit we need something big and that we can play mm-hmm. on the radio so then they went back and they were trying to figure it out the manager and uh the lead singer steve just started going through billboard like top 100 top 200 excuse me and just looking at what songs were popular and the story goes they were take they would take the best elements of whatever pop songs that they liked and then they said well, okay let's go back into studio and try to uh, copy those things and that's how they came up with songs like all star and um come on come on Interesting. Yeah, so it makes sense when I listen to the album because All Star doesn't sound like anything else on the album. Like we were saying before, no. it sounds like this tiki surf lounge retro type of type of vibe. But this is like a pure pop song. They found whatever formula it was and just distilled it and put it into this song. And that's why a it's popular because it is super catchy. It's annoyingly catchy. It's it's worse than coronavirus, you know. <laughs> at this point, you know. <laughs> Um, and it it could possibly kill you if you live with it long enough. <laughs> but B, because they marketed it so much that um, it just got drilled into people's into people's brains. So I think that's a, a massive reason why this song was so successful. Like we said, these, these are long albums, so we have to get yeah. to it. But I, I know what you're saying because like they just took elements. Um, like the next couple of Smash Mouth songs, Satellite, yeah. where I was like, what is this? It's some weird girl from Ipanema, bossa nova sort of yeah. sound. I was like, this cannot possibly be the band that did All Star, which was the exactly. previous song. They can't possibly be. Last week we did albums that were written in 1999 as well, and this Latin influence was big mm-hmm. as fuck. Curse you, Ricky yeah. Martin. Because sorry, to, so, I mean, I'm sorry to trigger you like this, Pedro, but this Latino flair they're trying to do with every song on the out al- with like. Every album has to have one Latino song. I really yeah, hate it. like I was saying earlier in the earlier episodes. Yeah, it gets it gets to a point that is cringe because you just know what they're doing. They're just trying to capitalize on the on the on the vibe or the flavor. This song "Satellite" was the epitome when I was just like, all right, yeah, this is lounge lizard music because he literally it's him. It's a pickup song. He's talking about picking up a chick. I see you floating by me. I see a beautiful face. His point is straight up toward the smog. I know, I know, you feel me beaming. Can you sense my burning x-ray vision as you roll on by? Okay, uh, I mean, it's nonsensical lyrics, but it, it still has that vibe of, you know, Tiki Lounge bullshit and more of the Jetson motif that's rampant on, on this album. 
I want to get back to the mm-hmm. Chili Peppers, and we'll start clipping through these songs. Speaking of clipping, there is a lot of distortion and clipping on the next song, mm-hmm. Get On Top. It's got a real rap rock feel, a, a real break from the two mellow songs. We just had Scar Tissue, Other Side. So this is uh, Pick Up The Energy. Probably one of my least favorite songs, like my less mm-hmm. favorite songs on the album. But when I was 10, I definitely mm-hmm. loved this song. I was like, yeah, fucking get it. Get on top. Love this. Sort of like a real rocker. Um, but it's not, it's not too bad. But one of the worst for distortion, maybe I'll put a mm-hmm. clip in, of it's like overly loud to the point where it damages the song. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was fine. I mean, I, 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 going through it, I, I saw that they um, were inspired by Public Enemy. And he tried to, I guess, um, kind of copy that style. So when I heard it, I was like, oh, yeah, I see it. I see where they're getting their inspiration from. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, it's a you can skip the song and you were not missing out on anything uh, special at all. Um, the next song, Californication, which every much like Back in Black, mm-hmm. when we did that, every teenager with a guitar is going to try to learn yeah. this riff. It's like an entry level riff. Californication. Um, they had the lyrics, interestingly enough, before they had the music. Anthony wrote the lyrics, showed them to John Frusciante, who loved them, and started writing the music, and they just couldn't find the right vibe. Um, and they just took weeks of trying to find, like, we need a chorus and we need music for this, but none of it fits. Eventually, he just started playing this ultra-sparse riff, which is what we have on the song now, and they just knew, like, we've never done a song like this, mm-hmm. this will work. And, uh, and it was a hit, unsurprisingly. But the lyrics are very critical of Hollywood mm-hmm. and Hollywood culture, uh, which is good. People always think, you know, like, Red Hot Chili Peppers, they love California, but quite cr- critical because they've seen the dark underbelly of Skid Row and L.A. and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. That's a, a big thing that I do enjoy about the song. Yeah, the music's great, but the lyrics are are, 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 are super dope. I mean, and someone even uh, relevant today, like, he opens up, Psychic Spies from China trying to steal your mind's elation. A little girl's from Sweden dream of silver screen quotation. And you think about that, what was going on with today, like, geopolitics about, you know, the Chinese government selling phones to steal our data. And this idea that, you know, whoever from around the world wants to go to Hollywood and become a, a star because of what they see on TV. I mean, nowadays it's more like social media shit. I, I always found these lyrics to be profound and, and, and super relevant, even even more so um, when he says, space may be the final frontier, but it's made in a Hollywood basement. And Cobain, can you hear the spheres singing songs of station to station? And Eldoran's not far away. It's Californication. I love, I always, I, I, I do love that line because it's a Star Wars reference, yeah. but if you dissect it, you totally uh, get what they're saying. So yeah, I, th- I think it's a, a dope song. I'd also say this in this album particular, in compared to like he had, they've had good songs before, like Under the Bridge, very famous song. But Anthony Kiedis's vocals are so much better on this album. He's found his iconic mm-hmm. voice, you know that like voice, like you hear it. Oh, that's the Chili Peppers. He didn't really have that. He was just sort of a subpar mm-hmm. singer in the early night, and now he's found his voice. So he makes the songs work with his like sort of unusual cadence mm-hmm. and timbre. Definitely. Um, the next song, easily, I <laughs> wrote down, very listenable. Yeah. Groovy bass lines, amazing guitar work. Kita sounds great on it. Like, I was shocked as going through. I'm like, man, like, even the filler tracks are like, I really like these tracks. They sound so good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm going to say on my notes, I didn't have much to say about it just because it just it is a filler track. And you yeah, but, it, to it's, it. but it's it wasn't nice. terrible or anything like that. It wasn't cringy, but it is a song that you just, like the title implies, it's, it's easy to listen to. So, But like, so the next song, you see the difference in between the two bands. It's called Porcelain. It's a fine, mellow sort of ballady track. 
but it resulted in Kedis meeting with a young mother at the YMCA who was attempting to battle her alcohol addiction while living mm. with her infant daughter. And so he wrote this song about it. Compared to what's happening on Smash Mouth, where their song Stoned, which is their quote-unquote <laughs> drug song, which every yeah. you know cool punk band needs to have, and it just... It's so bright and bubbly. Red Hot Chili Peppers is doom and gloom heroin, and then Smash Mouth is stoned marijuana, and it's so much lamer. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Even with the title stoned, you know, uh, like... And he's saying, like, oh, I'm just going to get stoned, man. Everything's cool. I thought, oh, cringe. Yeah, exactly. Even the word stone, I mean, that's, what, like, lingo in the 1960s, I guess? So it falls back into their whole motif of what they got going on. But it's a great comparison between the two bands. Like one band is mm. their drug song is about just smoking weed and just hanging out and lounging stuff where the Chili Peppers, they are dealing with drugs as well. But it's the, a whole different um, kettle of fish there. It's not a glorification of it, even though the music is really smooth and mellow and digestible to listen to. They're not glorifying uh, uh, the drug use at all. The Red Hot Chili Peppers, the next song, Emit Remus. And I remember this being one of my favorite tracks because it had a weird name. And I'm like, oh, it's like some like weird Latin thing that's probably really yeah. meaningful. <laughs> it, I didn't realize until I listened to it this time. Oh, it's summertime, spelt backwards. Emit yeah. Remus. Yeah, I'm like, okay. I really like the part where he goes like... It's a really good moment in the album. And I didn't know that the English girl in question is actually Mel C from the Spice Girls. Yeah, it's funny because we were talking about her last about her. They just keep coming up. Hot damn. The Spice Girls, we can't get enough of them. Um, And so she dated Anthony Kiedis briefly. But another great song. I like dirt. At this point, when I when we hit I Like Dirt on Californication, my ears started to get fatigued because I just kept hearing this like static. It was just Mm -hmm. so loud all the way through to the point where we get to a song, This Velvet Glove which is probably my favorite song on the album. I really really like this Velvet Glove, but it's so fucking loud all the time. And there's parts where he's singing in the verse, it should be quieter. It should be like groovier, quieter. And then the instrumentation comes in, but it's not. It's not dynamic. It's just as loud and in your face as every other part of the album. It's it's Mm -hmm. disappointing because the song itself is awesome. And if I could see it live, it would be awesome because this Velvet Glove kicks ass yeah i agree um i it would be dope to 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 see it live because i thought this was uh listening to this song i just imagine like this would be just an just a dope song to see him just you know tear apart on stage um and with i like dirt i i i did like this uh, uh, as well I, I this is another song i was just like they probably just came up with this in a quick jam session um and uh super funky track and um it would have been another song that i I would really enjoy watching them to, uh, perform live uh, because yeah, I just I, I was just digging it. Um, and in agreement with you, I had I, this is this is the point in the album where I, I kind of had to like pause it for a bit and just take a break from it before yeah, right. I go back into it. Just because it is a it's a long album and it is a lot to take in. It's not like a bad album. It's not it's not um, musically it's not displeasing, but uh, with all the things that you mentioned before and the length i think um a lot of people are gonna have to just take an intermission from it mm. before continuing on and it's what it's like what you said they're just jamming and doing lots of drugs in the studio and then just sending it to warner music um yeah. so i think it's like we got so much material we don't want to cut any of it but you can cut some guys 
Yeah, exactly. Another hit on Smash... Hit, and I use that loosely, on Smash Mouth's <laughs> album, Then the Morning Comes. It's like a smooth, bassy song, and I'm struck by how similar it sounds to Walking on the Sun. Did you Did yeah. you pick up this at all? Like, they had their first album, Walking on the Sun was their big single, and I feel like they pretty much just copied it for... It. I don't know. I don't know how similar it is, but from my memory, this sounds very familiar. Yeah, I think this was one of the songs, if, uh, if I'm not wrong, that the record label told them to come back with a couple of singles. So there might be something there where they were like, okay, well, Walking in the Sun was a hit. Let's try to copy that sound again and and, and uh, turn it in. Because it's, it's just that atypical, like, psychedelic surf lounge sound. And if anything, I think this this song really is indicative of what the whole album sounds like musically so i i was interested in the song anyway and i I couldn't find walking on the sun which is the smash mouth's biography written by paul delisle the bassist Uh so we'll have to settle for an amazon book review of their biography okay but i thought this was actually very sweet and i know we're trashing smash mouth a little bit but this was a very nice book review five stars obviously so this was written by beth henderson Reviewed at five stars, 30th of June, 2015. Hot, hot, hot. I've been their number okay. one fan since I first heard Nervous in the Alley on Komei in 1996 when I was an intern at the radio station. I couldn't yet go to their club bar shows because I wasn't yet 21 and I didn't have a car to get to them. Shortly after I turned 21, my first show was at 1996 Camp Komei where the guys played the side stage. I stood right in front of Paul during the performance and watched in awe as I fell in love with this band. I was hooked. I went to as many of the local club shows as I could, and I saw them about once a week that first year. At first, I was too nervous to introduce myself, but it was hard not to notice me when at a few of the shows there were only like 15 people, and 14 of them were friends and family. Wow. I was mainly just a fly on the wall that year, hanging back and watching. I couldn't fathom the fame that was about to hit the band. Here I am 19 years later, and I am still their number one fan, and they know Mm. it. I love all the guys and would do almost anything for them, including finish eating Steve's flaming hot scrambled eggs that Guy Fieri cooked up. And then she included a photo of herself and the band, and they're all hugging her, and she's their biggest fan. I thought that was very sweet. Mm. That's by Beth Henderson. So it goes to show every band has a biggest fan. Every band appeals to someone, and I'm glad Smash Mouth uh, have that. It's very heartwarming. Beautiful. Shouts out to, uh, to Beth out there. I know she's a fan of the show. Which makes me sad that I'm going to have to rag on them for their next song. <laughs> I read the title, Roadman, yeah. and I thought, please don't be a reggae song. Please don't be a reggae song. Please don't. And it was a it reggae was a song. Reggae song. Oh, yeah. fuck, it's a reggae song. Okay, honestly, unlike the Vanilla Ice episode, I don't have a problem with it yeah. per se because their background is in ska music, yeah. which has backgrounds in roots and reggae, right. and that shares a lot of the same vibes. It doesn't mean I have to like the song, but I'm okay with the yeah. song. I thought the same thing because I immediately went to the Vanilla Ice song. On, when we talked about Vanilla Ice's Rasta Man, and I believe you said... <clears throat> this record was obscene. <laughs> when I heard it, I was like, wow. I- and I believe Paul Creasy agreed and said... Uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, um, it's an obscenity. It's, it's, it's pretty terrible. 1990 was a long time ago. I don't think this song is as offensive as, say, Snow's Informer. Because he's not mocking it or anything. It's a tribute to the musical style. And although he's singing in a cadence or a patois, I don't think he's doing an accent or an impression. Like, he's just singing quite normally. Mm -hmm. So the accent would be a little bit more offensive, you Mm -hmm. know? 
And there's similar vibes on Home, which has a reggae, ska punk vibe a little bit later in the album. But, I mean, what do you think of Road Man? Yeah, like, I immediately went back to that Vanilla Ice song, Rasta Man. I was like, oh, is this going to be really bad? And honestly, it wasn't. Like you were mentioned before, you kind of, you give them leeway because they do have uh, elements of ska in their music and does have uh, musical roots planted in uh in reggae and stuff and and things like that it was a it's fine it's a little bit cartoony because it's it's kind of like a story song right about this driver who's crazy and wild and he's trying to get them to i guess a venue but he's just wilding out and stuff like that yeah it's it's a fine song it just it it falls back into that this thing of like you're just at the beach listening to this i wonder if this is more of their previous style because uh, uh, just a reggae song like this just to pop off on the album was uh, just super interesting. It's just it kind of sticks out uh, like a sore thumb a bit compared to everything else. Like we, uh, we've had the bossa nova, we've had the reggae, we've had the Latin song, yeah. we've had the pop song, we've had the pop punk song. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot. I think both albums fall off very heavily towards the right. end just because of their length and because I'm, I'm done with them. Yeah. Uh, and like it starts probably with Purple Stain, I was like really into this Velvet Glove, like, fuck, what a great song. Purple Stain comes on, and I'm like, okay, you guys are, okay, you've had enough juice for the yeah. moment. Perhaps some of the most disgusting lyrics we've had since Chris Brown in episode yeah. one. To finger paint is not a sin, I put my middle finger in, your monthly blood is what I win. Essentially, about fingering a girl on her period yeah. look. It's like peeing in the shower, we've all done it, but you don't have to broadcast it to 16 million people yeah. that you sell your record to. Um, there's some more funky scat singing. By this point, the album was petering out, and the same for Right on Time and Road Tripping. Mm-hmm. More jam sessions. I'm sure people are into it, especially fans that were more into their funky stuff uh, earlier in their career. But for me, I was just I was tapped out after so many hits. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree. Uh, this is the point where I'm just kind of like, okay, what? Like they were running out of ideas here or something like that. Like the music's not bad, but I. I don't know, man. It's just it did kind of turn me off when it's just like the subject matter of Purple Stain, and I'm just kind of like, all right. And I don't know, was it shock value? Was it just wanted to come up with it and and talk about it? But I was just like, oh, okay, it's it's just kind of gross to listen to. As you say, you listened to this when you were like 13. At 13, did you realize what the subject matter of this song was? Absolutely okay. not. No, no. I mean, you. I mean, you barely even like pick up the lyrics when you're 13. You're just like jamming. Um, you know, absolutely not. And I definitely didn't know, like, there was a lot of it was about drugs because I had no idea mm-hmm. about any of that as a 10 year old in Alice Springs, Australia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, it does take on a different meaning. But that was always Red Hot Chili Peppers vibes. Like, they play on stage always shirtless and they're like, sort of like, they sometimes kiss each other and they're like real sexy and mm-hmm. stuff. So I think that's the, the vibe they're going for. Yeah, yeah. I got nothing to say. Smash Mouth, Fallen Horses. It's like a ballad that was a little bit like Wild Horses. They got come on, come on. Only the, really the finisher, which is Can't Get Enough of You, Baby, mm-hmm. which I didn't know they didn't even write. They, it was a cover of a Four Seasons yeah. song, which clearly sounds a little bit different from the two Wop days. And it's a, it's a good song. I can imagine that some, you know, Pringles executive is can't wait to get this in his commercial. What you were saying before with Chili Peppers, that some of these songs do peter out at the end of this album with like come on come on or even can't get enough of you baby i just always i'm always going to think about what's associated with them and i just think about like 
oh yeah, I heard this song on a massive commercial or something like that. And this is one of the songs like Come On, Come On was played on an episode of Kim Possible. Are you familiar with Kim Possible? It's a Disney cartoon show. Oh yes, I'm I'm very what's the sitch? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, did you know there actually is video out there where um uh, the episode of Kim Possible where they're on and they are actually on the episode. Like Smash Mouth is like per- an animated. Yeah, there's an animated nice. Smash, Smash nice. Mouth. And I think they're playing like a school dance or something and they play this song and it is uh, it is uh, it is something to watch. So um, if anyone gets a chance, that's a little throwback into the year 2000 there with uh, with home. I mean, it is kind of like whatever I felt. It was more that psychedelic thing that they were trying to experiment with. I almost thought like this could be on a Scooby Doo movie or something like that, just because of the sounds that they're using. It kinda... probably was, bro. Yeah, it probably and, was. And that's what I was just about to say. It probably was, just because they licensed their music to so many properties, especially like stuff like to kids, which is pretty interesting. But yeah, can't get enough of you, baby. I've heard this song this time around. I was like. Every time I listen to a song, I'm like, why do I always just think about Jennifer Love Hewitt? And it's because the song was, I think, the main theme of Can't Hardly Wait, that movie with Jennifer Love Hewitt. And she's in the video as well, all over the video. So um, this song is just a a time capsule for late 90s um, aesthetics, So, which is ironic because it's actually, what, a song that originally came out like in the 1960s or something like that. So... Um, yeah, it's super interesting. In closing, we gotta wrap this episode up. It's a yeah. long, it's a long one. Um, what did you think of both albums? Are Smash Mouth still a joke? Are Red Hot Chili Peppers still sell out, sell out artists? Smash Mouth, it was, dude, it was interesting to go back and 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 listen to them and to see what they're about. I think they they seem to me like a, a niche band, kind of like a novelty band that got blown up because they had a massive hit which is all-star, right? Because everything else on the album, like we were saying before... They, they had 15 fans at their shows, 14 of them being friends and family. Yeah, yeah. So they're, they're a very novelty niche band that got blown up because they got they locked out and put their, their song into one of the biggest animated movies of all time and then continue to milk it by putting their other songs into other movies. And we all listened to Smash Mouth through Osmosis. I mean, big up to them. I will never listen to this album again. I can't stand to listen to All Star ever again in my life. I'll be, you know, I'll be, I'll be. You'll be happy if you never hear it ever again. Exactly. And with Red Hot Chili Peppers, yeah, I prefer the album um, over Smash Mouth. It's not perfect. I do prefer some of the more profound lyrics. Um, I'm going to pick and choose some of the songs from the Chili Peppers, like Californication and uh, Scar Tissue. Those are songs I'll always go back to because I grew up with them. I do prefer the sound, the mellowness of it, and just the profound lyrics. I can, I really dig that. Um, all the other songs that are kind of jam session song stuff, um, I'm kind of like whatever with. So, yeah. You got to choose a song from both albums, man. So the most indicative, I guess, from Smash Mouth would be... Um, I'm gonna. Oh, say, I wonder what that's gonna be. <laughs> nah, I, well, it's not. I'm gonna say it's then the morning comes because I think it's just it, it just captures that psychedelic surf lounge tiki lounge legit bullshit that they got going on on the rest of the album. Um, would you think I was gonna say All Star or no? I but actually you got it in one because that's my choice as well. Then the oh, morning okay. comes. 
it's similar to Walking on the Sun, but it's it's exactly their vibe. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's going to be it. And then with uh, California, with Californication, um, I'm not going to go for the obvious choice. I'm I think I'm going to go for. Oh, it's so hard. You know what? I'll I'll tell someone to listen to Savior. I just thought it oh, was... Oh, yeah, we didn't we didn't even talk about Savior. Savior's a good song, too. Yeah, I just think um, it's not one of the massive pop hits, but it also captures what the rest of, al- of the album is about. Um, just talks about... Well, it's a song about Wikidas and his father, and, um, and it talks about the drug addiction. It talks about... It's very introspective. Um, it's very mellow. So I will recommend that um, as uh, something that you haven't heard a million times on the radio. Yeah, for me, the, uh, Then the Morning Comes, great example of Smash Mouth style, of their sort of retro-futuristic style. For me, because I would suggest, you know, Other Side or Scar Tissue, but if you've been alive in the past 20 years, you've heard the songs before. So let's go with this Velvet Glove. I wish it was mixed better. It shits me up the wall. There are much better versions available. But the Spotify version and the CD version, which I tracked down for this episode, sound like complete garbage from mm. headphones. This Velvet Glove, though, is an amazing song that is not one of their big hits. I would highly recommend checking it out. That's about it for the episode. I sh- you know what we've never done? We've never asked people to rate, like, and subscribe. So maybe we should oh, start yeah. getting people to do that. Rate us, leave us a review. That would be really helpful. Um, and like us on Facebook, etc., etc. And yes. uh, we'll see you next week. See you guys. Bye.